Hello. How's it going? Good. How's it going for you? Oh, it's been a week. It's been a it's day. Been a <laughs> <laughs> this is the trouble when you when you manage people, right? Oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Days right. become days, right? <laughs> no. So, how are conferences? How are conferences for you, Andy? How are they? Yeah. How are you feeling about them? What do you think about them? What's your general vibe? I'm sort of can't wait to go back to them. Honestly, I submitted a couple of talks for RailsConf in the US, nice in sunny Portland. So we'll oh, see. all of that was right. I can't commit to whether it's going to be sunny or not. No, I can't <laughs> commit to the sunniness on the Brian Ruby homepage either. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I need to be amongst my people. I can't really spend the spousal points to go if I'm not speaking, which is weird because it just means that. There's just more work to do before I go. <laughs> Brighton Ruby's going to be fine because it's a bit smaller this year. Um, so it's not going to feel so pressured as if 400 people are coming. Like 150 people is easy. Oh, that's like intimate. That's like you could meet everybody there. That's yeah, like, and I expect nice. given that there's two years worth of demand, I imagine it'll be mostly repeat attendees, I would think, but I don't know. Try and give them something interesting in the call for papers at least. So, Yeah. yeah. Have you gotten any talk submissions yet? Or is that why the email? I hadn't got any yet because I hadn't launched the form. But like, yeah, I've got one since I posted the email two hours ago. Nice. That's fast. Wow. That is fast. I, <laughs> just, I bet there's some people who haven't even looked at the email yet. I'm surprised someone wrote oh, yeah, a whole I mean, proposal. I imagine it's a proposal that they have already cooked up, maybe. I don't know. People have known that Brian Ruby's coming and they know I run a fairly open speaker process. So. I imagine if you have an idea, you might have half written it up. I'd half written up a couple of the things that I submitted to RailsConf, so. Nice. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to them? Are you are you going to any? What's your I mean, I presume you're going to go to RailsConf because it's literally in your town. Yeah, I'm going to go to RailsConf for sure. I've been waiting for it to come to Portland. When I was in Portland before, I was not in the industry. Yeah. And I heard tales of your, of when it was in Portland. And it actually means something to me now because I live here. But I am speaking at a conference in three weeks in April. I don't know when this is going out, but right now it's March and soon it'll be April. And I am going to a conference called Lead Dev in New York. Oh, they're good, the Lead Dev comps. They're really good. I am very excited. It's my first Lead Dev event ever. I've been trying to get myself on that speaker list because that looks like fun. I just want to go listen to other people's talks. And this is like the way that I'm going to do it. Exactly. I could just buy the ticket. I don't know what my problem is, but I'm like, well, maybe I could just submit a talk and it works out for me this time. I have the same problem. I was just saying like, it's sort of like, I almost need an excuse to go to a conference for just pleasure. Yeah. Which I mean, majority of people go to the conference not to speak. Yeah. Maybe maybe other people aren't egomaniacs. (laughs) You might've touched upon something. Let's not go down that road. (laughs) Why? There's another conversation to be had about like why you and why I do you feel do this? like we have to speak why to justify being this? there. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? <laughs> I like the delivery of the talk. And I like the coming up with the concept and the sort of the hashing it together bit. Mm-hmm. I actually quite enjoy the process of putting a talk together. Like it's not, for some people, they love the speaking bit and the actual talk prep is really painful. Yeah. Also, because my style is kind of loosey goosey, I kind of, I don't over rehearse. I know some people really rehearse over and over and again. Some people 
memorize their talks. And I gave up on that a long time ago. The I first barely know my own I middle did. name. I mean, this is. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to memorize yeah. anything. I tried that once upon a time and I was like, this is just too much work. Yeah. I mean, my children, there's the boy one and the girl one. Like <laughs> names, no names escape me. That I'm remembering an entire half an hour talk. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm excited for them to come back. I think, though, on this side of the pandemic, which we're not done with it yet, but we're past the part where we didn't have vaccines and everything was terrible. Yeah. This, at least now we have vaccines. But on this side of that whole experience, I feel like I'm going to be a lot more discerning about which conferences I'm going to and why. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say like, I didn't think about it before, but I think I would sometimes overcommit myself to events. And of course, in the moment, I would realize like, oh, yeah, I forgot what this entails, like this the talk prep and then the traveling and all the social stuff that it demands of you, which yeah. is fun in some ways, but also is like, unless you're an extrovert, which I am not, is draining in a way. I almost like feel like I need a recovery day after every conference I go to. So now I'm trying to be much more, I don't know, methodical and deliberate about what conferences I go to. And I think I'll just go to fewer too, because I don't think I have it in me to like write so many talks. And I'm I'm reusing talks too that I can. Like I'm trying to get as much juice out of them because it's just so much work. Yeah. I would love to give the two talks I've done in the last three or four years, I'd love to give them again. Yeah. Because they're good. That's, that's the other thing. It's like when you give a talk, you're like, this is really good. I was like, huh. Well, particularly when there was a, I gave a keynote at RubyConf. Like, I was like, that talk went down so well. And it was great and really fun and funny. And it made people cry. And it was good. It was a good talk. And then I was like, oh, I've done it at RailsConf now. Like, where, where else am I going to take this? Yeah. Well, you got to consider taking it outside of that community. Because I bet there's places. Oh, you don't like that. No, 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 I do. No, I do. No, I'd love to. It's just it's getting into those places, right? Because you need an advocate for it. Like, it's tough to get into the lead dev stuff. I've submitted a couple of times to their CFPs, but yeah, I'm imagining also they don't need another middle-aged white man on their speaker. <laughs> actually, they're pretty good. Like, I, I really wish I'd come up with the idea for that conference. It's such a good idea. Yeah. Because like, you can just, you can roll that to every city and they are doing that. I mean, tough to come up with that idea five years ago and then have a pandemic in the middle of it. Like, that won't have been any fun. But yeah, like a really good idea for a conference. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. I just, I read their content quite often too. So I'm like, what is the real life version of this? Who knows? Proper big conf though. They're kind of big and shiny. Yeah. Like in a way that I would never be able to be. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's also just a big undertaking that one person, I feel like even if it was a full-time job, I don't even know how you'd pull it off because it's just the scale of it. It's like a Rails conf or a strange loop or something where it's just... Yeah. So much coordination that you need multiple people working on it full time for a couple months. But it's fascinating because Brighton's kind of a, a venue for that mm -hmm. kind of stuff because we've got various different sizes of venues. And like there's, we have a hangout of people who run events in Brighton, or at least we did when people in, were running events. So there's me with my couple of hundred people. And then there's a couple of friends of mine who run another conference called FFConf that's similar sort of size, similar sort of scale. And then there's the chap who runs Brighton SEO, which is every six months literally thousands of people it's an seo specific conference they started in the top floor of a pub about 15 years ago and it just grew and grew and grew and, wow 
And their whole business model baffles me because they have like free tickets and huge sponsors and like, it's just different kind of things, the sort of thing that you and I, yeah, I presume you have been to the mostly sort of conferences that try and break even with a few sponsors. That's still RailsConf and RubyConf. Like those are conferences that are trying to make a bit of money to run all of our servers, right? So yeah, yeah, that thing terrifies and baffles me. Yeah, I think the other one that comes to mind is QCon. Is it Q mm. Q Info? Oh my god, I'm gonna let me see QCon. The big googly ones, or I presume like the Intercom ones, or the Stripe conferences. Yeah. Those the enormous like the whole internet can come kind of conference. And I guess the lead devs kind of in that wheelhouse. Yeah, the QCon one. I didn't speak at it, but I organized an event track around like practical computer science or something, and it was so many people and it was like from all walks of life and just a lot of dudes and I was just like this is is too much I feel like a statistic here (laughs) too much dude in this room yeah I mean the Ruby and Rails conf is a baffling and terrifying size to me like even to attend like I find them quite you have to gear your brain up to do them and like I oh yeah the first couple of years I, I went I stayed off site and then the last couple that I did, I stayed in the hotel where the thing was being held, which is absolutely the way to do those big conferences because then you can just bail when you need to for an hour to just go and decompress or whatever. Yeah, decompress, get over your jet lag for those big multi-track meeting, lots of people in the corridors, enormous catered lunch kind of things. It's a different vibe to the one day single track thing. Oh, it's yeah. My, more my personal taste. Yeah, completely different tone and expectations. <laughs> yeah, I, I lower expectations for Brian Ruby. That's that's all good. I'm <laughs> glad to be a beneficiary of that. Well, conferences are, they're fun. I have missed them. I'm curious what the future of them looks like with this hybrid world, because I think to some extent people realize the benefit of the virtual conferences where you could like include all these people and like caregivers Mm. and people in different time zones. And I'm very curious to see how different events are going to adapt to that. So for example, RailsConf, well, Ruby and RailsConf up until 2022, during the pandemic, they were doing this hybrid thing of virtual and in-person at the same time. Yeah. Which was interesting to watch because I remember talking to some of the organizers and them just being like, this is the first time we're doing this. And like, we don't really know what we're doing. We're trying to figure it out as we go. Cause things- they've always done a little bit of that when they used to live stream rooms as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they were sort of like dabbling their feet in that before it all shut down. So they were always live streaming the keynote and stuff like that. So there was a little bit of that going on. They had to like, for me, that's the main thing. Like the administration of it is there's challenges in terms of like, what you get from a virtual event and what you get from an in-person event are very, very different. And some people like one or t'other, right? But for me, it's the mechanics of it. Like I've never done a live stream for Bright and Ruby. I've videotaped all of them except the first one. And this one will be videotaped as well. And then I release the videos afterwards. But like to try and manage a live stream with people having paid you for that is super hard. (laughs) Because it's like, People pay for the tickets and then when you pay for something, you have an expectation that it's going to be some caliber, some quality of content. And it seemed very stressful. And I think this year for RailsConf, at least in 2022, 
they're splitting them up. And so now I'm different like, days. Yeah. That's a good yeah, idea. And the, the virtual one is in June and the in-person mm. one is in May. So they're like quite spread apart. And I wonder if conferences are going to start to adopt something around this where maybe some conferences will only be virtual and it will just be a virtual experience. And maybe they, the cost is lower and mm. the expectations are different. And some conferences will be only in person, no virtual, and some might do this hybrid thing. And I'm very curious to see how that's going to evolve because I do think the virtual events and the virtual content does include a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't have been able to go, but it's not the same. And and then, but also I'm just like, and I am not the audience for that, Mm. which is so as an organizer, it's actually quite hard for me. I have no idea what I could possibly offer. Maybe I lack imagination and that's possibly very true. But I don't know why I would, I mean, I did it for the 2020 version of Brian Ruby, where I sort of repurposed the people who I was going to have over in person. So they'd already started doing their talks and I begged, well, mostly because I was financially in the hole from paying for a venue that the money disappeared. So I needed to make some money back. Yeah. And so I sold tickets, you know, I refunded everyone as soon as it was apparent it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But I don't know what people would want because I'm not serving myself. For my in-person conference, I know exactly what I'm doing because that's what I would want mm-hmm. if I was going there. But yeah, like a virtual event is not my bag. And also it's just like, I like the idea of it. I always end up arguing myself into doing like a training course. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels, it's more like there's no point in having a time-based thing on it. And I know some people quite like the sort of in-person as live conferences, but then I'm just like, well, then you're excluding people who have care giving responsibilities as well, right? It's just yeah. like maybe you could do a week of things for two hours or something. You know, I think some of the pandemic rails comps were a little bit more like that. They yeah. lasted a bit longer. So there was some of that sort of thing. But yeah, I just don't know. I'm just not, I've no idea how I would put one on. You don't, you don't have to, you know? I know, you, I don't, yeah, I know. It's, but you sort of, like, yeah, I, I sort of feel bad that certainly for the first couple of years after things opening up again, some people will remain nervous. And I don't know how to help those people to enjoy a sense of community. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that's a tricky thing. Yeah, it might take some time. I think conferences are going to look pretty different for the next two years, at least. Are they going to look different though? I mean, to some extent, like you have to think about, people are going to ask you about COVID policies. They're going to ask you about safety things. There are some people who might only want to attend with certain measures in place. There's a conference that's happening this summer that is a fully outdoor conference. And I don't think I had ever, it's possible they might've happened, but I wasn't yeah. aware of any fully outdoor tech conference until this one. There's the Rails camps maybe. But that's like not even, that's not like a. It's not, they don't have, they don't have talks or anything. But yeah, that's, it's yeah, not a conference that's, though. That's, that's, a bunch, that's, that's nerds in the wood, that is. <laughs> but this is like a full, I think it's like a React in the park or something. I don't remember what it's mm. called, but it's in California. It's like in Berkeley okay. or something. And I'm like, well, yeah, you guys have beautiful weather. <laughs> I can't, you can't do like an outdoor conference in Minnesota or something, you know? No, you'd certainly want to plan for Wayne. Don't know the weather patterns of the US, but I think still think like even in the place with the most gorgeous weather, you only get showers all day, do you? Yeah. So you need to do something. But yeah, like there's definitely, it's opened up the idea of multiple things that you could do rather than the sort of the standard, everyone sits in a tidy box, tiny box for multiple hours getting hot and a bit stinky. Yeah, facing the same direction. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, <laughs> there's definitely more, I think, you know, there's things that I've played with, you know, certainly 
if my main venue had been more operational over the last five years, they only had one big room. It's that we've played with layout. We play with different layouts throughout the building and what you can do. My friends run their conference in a cinema. Mm. It's got amazing seats <laughs> <laughs> and absolutely no storage. So oh. they run it in like the oldest cinema in the UK is in Brighton. The oldest continuously operating cinema in the UK is in Brighton. They have their conference there, which is really cool. It's just like a really nice venue to have it in, but there's nowhere for anyone to go. Yeah. So it's kind of, they kind of have to blat through the talks a bit. People have done this in different ways, like different approaches to the day. So conferences I've done before where, so we did this sort of entrepreneurial bootstrappery conference, a friend and I, and that was much more round tables, lots of breaks, exercises in between talks for you to talk amongst yourselves on the table for half an hour. Mm-hmm. And it was much, and it's two days and a sort of food thing in the middle of it. Whereas Brighton Ruby is much more talk and then long gap and then talk and then long gap or two talks and a long gap. But yeah, it's just what the sort of feel of what you're trying to get into the day. So yeah, I think it has definitely opened up what can pass as a conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious to see how they're going to change. And I wonder if the numbers of conferences are going to go up or not, because I do feel like pre-pandemic, there are fewer conferences. Like some of my favorite conferences stopped before the pandemic and mm-hmm. then the pandemic hit. And I kind of suspect some conferences that were like, maybe just holding on or maybe the organizer were like, oh, I don't know how long I want to do this. I feel like the pandemic might've been that last nail in the coffin. So I wonder if there's going to be fewer conferences too. And like, especially a lot of the eclectic rule bending yeah. conferences, not the generic mainstream ones. Those were really fun. And those are the ones that I would always hear about and that I wanted to go to. And there were some that I never made it out to and they ended before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are other things that like, they sort of in, in the Ruby community, they call them like the regional Ruby conferences. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of too. Yeah. So I was at the last New York one, which was, that was Go Ruko, wasn't it? That was the New mm-hmm. York one. And that was astonishing to me because I, ch- I chatted to the organizer and I was sort of asking about like, oh wow, you know, you put this on, it's on the, on the weekend and it's quite a nice venue. And literally his venue cost was three times the cost of my entire conference because it was in, in Manhattan. Yep. Like, yeah. Oh boy. So like, you know, <laughs> even within that fairly straightforward template, there was a lot of differentiation. Yeah. Um, I quite like the idea. So I've always wanted to run something small for, I keep bouncing this ideas off my friends, which is like it's people in kind of tech, technical leadership roles, mm-hmm. but just sort of one person from each company to come and talk in like a safe environment where you can say stuff and your coworkers are not there. So you can actually get some value out. It's sort of like you have get these kind of, I'm on a regular call with two folks in the UK who are doing similar jobs to me in similar-ish size companies. Mm-hmm. It's like the most valuable hour of my week. Even if it's just to hear that they're having a shit week too, or they're having difficulties with their staff, or they don't know how to approach a problem. or And taking that thing that I have every week that feels really healthy for me, would be a really lovely conference to do for like 10 or 15 people. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's almost like a leadership retreat type of thing. Yeah, but I don't want it to sound so yeah, twee and awful. I hate that name too. But it- <laughs> it's a, a retreat or a mastermind. Yeah. You know, I just sort of want to... Decidedly not like a conference in the traditional sense. But I like the idea of everyone's presenting something. Mm. Even if it's just like, this is where we're at in our business, these are the things I'm thinking about right now. And, you know, it might be really contextual. Like, you know, you might get a completely different feel in six months time. Yeah. They could have a couple of difficult members of staff or 
you know, whatever it is, um, what they're going through a particularly difficult technical thing. I quite like the idea of the group being the thing. The trouble with that is you need a commitment of time, yeah. a lot of time from those folks and those folks don't have the time. So I feel like that's like half the job is being like, wow, I don't have the time to do this stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, that is the other thing about conferences in general though, right? It is a opportunity to get yourself out of the day-to-day. Yeah. And that's actually sometimes the benefit of it. And certainly for me, it, it's nice when I get to go to the US ones and speak because it's so out of, I'm out of time zone, I'm out of everything. So that's a real, real benefit of like getting to go to as many talks as I fancy, decompress in the middle of the day, keep on top of stuff at work. But like that's kind of one of the major benefits to going is, is the change from the norm. Yeah, which sometimes you really need. The punctuation, right? It's the punctuation of, of your work year. And I certainly realized that I'm missing that punctuation mm. in the last couple of years. I like that way of describing it. Even when the punctuation is me running around like a mad idiot for a week before my own conference, because I don't know how to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> do you see conferences any differently or think about them differently now that we've gone through this paradigm altering event i don't actually i think it's quite a human thing to gather in groups of people who are like you inverted commas and i think we'll want to do that always if you took a sort of cross-section of our community and you go more introverts than average probably you know it's not a sales conference <laughs> so right more, introverts, <laughs> more, more, intro, more introverts than average and therefore but yet we all still like to kind of gather in our awkward circles and make nerdy jokes at each other, right? That's kind of, I don't think you can get away from the primate need to see other primate faces. Yeah. So yeah, like however introverted you are, it's still quite nice to go to a conference. Even if you're just amongst people and you don't want to talk to anyone. That feeling of being in a crowd of your, your people, I think is a very psychologically healthy thing to do. Shared experiences and interests yeah, yeah. People together they make them feel part of something bigger than themselves yeah yeah definitely definitely so your talk you're doing soon is it a repeat one or are you having to write from scratch it is one that i wrote in the pandemic and gave in two companies so it oh, is okay. not new but no one outside of those two companies has seen it and so it is new for, in some ways <laughs> It's new for the world. Yeah. There's no recording of it anywhere and only a small group of people have seen it. The nice thing is I don't have to write it from scratch, which I am very grateful for. Plus you've given it twice small, right? So you know which bits weren't working and which yeah. bits really did. Yeah. So can... I need to like go back and look at it and like revive parts of it and cut things and improve it. But it's nice to not be starting with a blank page. That's my favorite thing is to go back through and put more jokes in. <laughs> basically the number one thing we're always lacking the number one thing is i need i need more laughs that's kind of what i'm after <laughs> it's quite so i was doing nadia had it was doing a talk and like we often like review each other's stuff her stuff's always brilliant and really well structured and my stuff is always a mess but she was asking what would you do here and i'm like this this and this and i'll do this and i'll do this and, and she just stopped me from it andy i know how you would give this talk how am i going to give this talk and i was like yes point taken that is you don't need to cram it full of stupid idiot jokes so that's fine <laughs> but yeah like that's my favorite bit is the giving it once and it kind of working 
and then doing little twists on it or I've definitely done a couple of things where I've given a talk and then literally a week later, I found an example of a thing I would like to include in it or mm-hmm. a better illustration of a story than another one that I had. Or like, I'm like, oh, well, I should have had this as my thesis statement or I should have talked about this first. But it's yeah. nice when you can go back and fix it. But also there, I don't know if this happens for you, but if I give the same talk more than maybe three to four times, I start to hate it. I don't want oh, to really? hear it anymore. Yeah. So there's like this perfect little sweet spot of... You want Vida Heath's third edition of the talk is basically what you want before <laughs> she gets bored of it and starts to hate herself. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a sweet spot of like, okay, this is new. Like, how are people going to react? Yeah. Are they going to like it? Is it going to resonate? Are people going to learn something? And then it's like, okay, I'm going to make it better. And then then there's like that perfect moment of, I've given this and like, I've almost somewhat internalized the talk. And so like, mm. I don't even have to refer to the notes as much. This is like comfortable, you know, like it's like a pair of good fitting jeans. And then mm. I'm like, I hate this talk. And, and then the jeans <laughs> have got a hole in the crotch and like they're covered in mud and then you hate the jeans and the jeans must go. And I'm like, I don't want to do this talk again. I don't want to watch a video. I'm done. I never want to write or talk or speak about this again. That's how it goes for me. I wish I'd given my talks enough for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think now, actually, what's interesting is that the talks that I've given that I've really enjoyed aren't technical. I rarely give an introduction to X feature or had you thought about doing it this way feature. So they're kind of timeless. Yeah. Timeless. I I only work on epics that will outlive me. (laughs) But equally, I feel like I could go back to them now Mm -hmm. because the emotional stuff in them or the, the story or the thesis, I don't think I've changed my mind. No on what, I, what that talk was trying to say. So I think actually I could probably go back to them now and go, do you know what? That was a good talk five years ago. It's still a good talk. And you could like revamp parts of it if you need to. Yeah, yeah. Cut out things that you're like, this wasn't adding anything. But the core of it is still there. And that's a nice thing about talks that are like foundational or are so broad that it casts a wide enough net that it's not ever going to be boring or out- yeah, yeah. outdated. Plus, you know, I work so hard on my slides and the animations within, it would be good to get some more usage out of them. Oh my God, that's another thing. I'm just, I see some people's slides, Justin Searles. Yeah, his slides are good. don't understand. He must spend so much time on slides. And my friend Godfrey also, like I've seen him do slide animations and I'm like, dude, that took 20 minutes. How did you do this for every slide? I tried to do one animation that looked like what he did and it took me 20 minutes and I was like, nope. I think there are a group of us in, certainly in the Ruby speaker sort of Venn diagram, whose major skill actually is in keynote and not actually in programming for a living. <laughs> and you get to just um, live, live that dream. Yeah. And so and you, what you have to do is you have to work really hard on learning how to be a decent programmer so that every, every two years you get to animate some slides in keynote and be a badass. That's basically my, my thesis. <laughs> Like, how I this feel. is the moment. This is my moment to shine. I was queuing audio out of my audio and animations and radio play. It was really, you know, the last one was quite technically tricky. Wow. Like timing stuff with bits of music to animate. It's really this fun. sounds really stressful. You know my strategy? Solid color background. I've text. seen your strategy. <laughs> it's like big, big font. No more than five words, ideally three or two. And just like letters on a background. And I'm just like, I'll do 90 of these. This is no problem. I'm not doing anything more sophisticated than this. You can maybe throw a graph on one of them. And that's 
Yeah, it's That's a special slide. Yeah. I'm like, oh, here's an image. Yeah. <laughs> full bleed. Full bleed. Always full bleed. Yeah. I love the construction of it. I just think that's the most, I, I think it must tickle a similar itch to programming for me. Is that there's something about you're slotting together. Yeah. yeah, you're slotting together all of the pieces to build a bigger thing. And even, yeah, like I said, like talks of like change the order of stuff and like you can literally take big chunks and I've seen it happen with other people's talks as well where you just say, why don't you that bit there? You need to mention that at the beginning. Otherwise the end doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, the end's really good, but it only makes sense because I know what you know about this thing. Like, I've, I've definitely mm-hmm. given that that coaching before. That's quite good fun. What's your favorite talk you've ever seen or favorite talks? That I've seen. I loved Sarah May's talk on, isn't it called Livable Code? Yeah. I saw it live. And do you know where she debuted that? Where? Brighton Ruby. <laughs> I didn't see the Brighton one, but I think I saw her give that talk at EmberConf as the keynote. And I was yeah. just like, this is amazing. Yeah, this is exactly like what. Brilliant talk. I, that's the one that stands out to me as just like a very good talk that I come back to. Yeah. For different reasons, you know. Yeah. yeah. But pretty much every talk I've ever seen Sarah give. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Other smaller talks that I've seen, smaller talks. So a friend of mine, Tekin, gave an amazing talk on Git. This is mm. really well structured. And Nadia also gave an amazing talk. Her, her, her talk's like these marvelous little not chocolate box, like a little mechanism. She walks you through and just like springs all the little things and it comes off. And it's just like, it's so delightfully put together. I've seen her speak at some conference in Denver. She gave a talk that I remember. I just remember the slides and there were like these really cute yeah. emojis and characters and storytelling. And I was like, oh, this is really fun. Yeah, it was a really great. Although actually the other talk is a chap, Alex, who gave a talk, sort of pointless. It was amazing, but he was generating Harry Potter, not using machine learning, but like he basically fed all of Harry Potter into this program and then demonstrated an idea about programming and then generated Harry Potter-ish stuff from the original Harry Potter taste. And it's just, it's got brilliant gags in it and it just really, really works as a, like, it's again, it's one of these like small, it's just a talk I can't, I could not give. <laughs> because it's so well structured mm-hmm. and like something sort of perfect and precise about it though. I just, I just really admire that kind of thing. Yeah. I love talks that are just like, oh, I'm not building this for work. Mm. This is just for the pure joy of it. The joy yeah. of building something and learning something or just trying to do a thing and what I learned from it. And those are super fun. A lot of the talks that are, let's make music or art with programming. And I'm like, oh, no one's like, you're not getting paid to do this as a programmer, but you're doing it purely for yourself. And yeah. I love that because the enthusiasm and the joy really exudes from the person on stage talking about it because it's, you know, the reason they were doing it is not for anything aside from just the fun of it. Yeah. Or you, the people like the Sonic Pie chap, whose name I can't recall right now. It's a musical, sort of Ruby based music generating thing. And like he does live sets with Ruby. Wow. And like Xavier also did one at Brian Ruby. He played a bass guitar alongside programmed music written in Ruby and you could see That's the code cool. and he was, it was so cool. That's so cool. that was pretty amazing. And pretty much anything that Nicholas Means does. Oh, uh, such a good storyteller. Yeah. Let's add him to my list too. Yeah. He's amazing. definitely there. Amazing speaker. Yeah. His Eiffel Tower one is great. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's, it, what's funny is like, I've watched lots of Nick's talks over the years and I've had him over to do one of them. 
But like, as he's gone on, his talks are getting less and less. Like he eventually just goes, I'm going to say this one thing. I'm going to tell you 15 to 20 minutes of story beforehand. And then I'm going to land the punchline and then I'm going to walk. But I'm so good at this that <laughs> you won't mind. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those speakers where when I listen to his talks, I just relinquish control where I'm like, I don't know how this is going to connect. But yeah. I have so much faith that it's we're going somewhere with this <laughs> it's, that you could take me anywhere. And I'll be like, all right. Uh, on board the Nicholas Means Express. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, I guess what, that might be a good ending point. That's quite that's a good ending point. Let's <laughs> climb aboard the Nicholas Means Express, which now I'm saying it twice makes it sound a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate him we and his appreciate his, his as a speaker. Yes. We're not literally climbing on Nicholas Means because that Let's, will put him off his stride if he's on stage. Please clarify. We're just big <laughs> fans. We enjoy his talks. Any cuddles, purely mutual. <laughs> 